Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. So for those of you who were here last week, you know that this morning I'm beginning a several-week series on the fall. I know we're moving towards the fall, where the leaves change and leaves fall, but the theme of this sermon series is going to be investigating and looking at what does the Bible tell us about the fall of humankind. Through it and through this series, we're going to discover and come to understand why the world is the way it is, and then what Jesus came to do about it. Now, if I was beginning to preach on the fall, most of us would assume if you know your Bibles, you would be thinking we would be starting in Genesis chapter 3 that deals with the fall. But what I feel is important is that we begin, first of all, in the fall series by looking at how good God is, and how amazing the creation of God is. Because you see, that's how it works in the Bible. You begin with creation. By the way, you can look at the Bible as a six-act play or a seven-act play. My son mentioned that when he preached a few weeks ago. But the first act, and by the way, that helps us to read the Bible, but if you look at the Scripture and the narrative of the Bible, what's called the meta-narrative of the Bible, there are several acts in the play. The first one is creation. The second one is the fall. You run into those first two acts of the play in the first three chapters of the Bible. Following the fall, you go to Israel. Following Israel, you have Jesus. Following Jesus, you have the church. And then you have what's called the culmination of all things, where God makes everything new. Those are the primary acts of the Bible. I want to begin in the first act. I want to begin by looking at creation. How we're going to do this is we're going to begin reading in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. We're going to read those five verses. And the way this sermon's going to work is we're going to read a pretty big chunk of text from the book of Genesis, and then I'll share some thoughts. Then we're going to read a much larger passage of Scripture from Genesis chapter 2. I'll share a brief thought, and then we'll be done. But in thinking about God's amazing creation, how awesome His creation is, we get that from Genesis chapter 1, but I want us to focus on the pinnacle of God's creation, the creation of humankind. So where we're getting ready to read is day six. There have been five days of creation prior. But as humankind is the pinnacle of God's creation, I want us to look at day six. Let's begin reading in verse 26 of Genesis 1. Here's what the Bible says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the, crowd, along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. By the way, that could be an off-handed argument for being a vegetarian. I violently oppose. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Reading on verse 31. God saw all that he, was, that he had made, and it was very good. That is the theme of the sermon. It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. It's interesting to note that the first five days, God says it was good. It's not until God looks over the creation of humankind in the prior five days collectively, that God looks at it and says, it is very good. In thinking about the goodness of God in creation, I would like for you to take a moment and think about the most amazing place you've ever been. Take a moment and think about it. In conversing with some people, uh, there was someone that told me the most amazing place they've ever been is the Hoover Dam. Some of us went, ooh. <laughs> now listen, that's viable, and I want to tell you why. We're going to learn, as my last thought for the day, is we are called to co-labor with God. So if mankind can do something awesome and amazing, it's incredible, and you can honor that because we co-labor with him. Hoover Dam. Someone else mentioned Niagara Falls. Most amazing place they've ever been. By the way, I've heard the Canadian side is better than the American side. I was born in Canada. Little side note. Never been. Never been to the Hoover Dam. Never been to Niagara Falls. One, man created. The other one, God created. I should say, one man co-created with God and the other one God created. One amazing sight that I will never forget was when my parents lived in Sao Paulo, Brazil. My dad was part of a team building a paper factory there, and when I was an undergrad, my parents flew us to Brazil, and my brother and I flew into Sao Paulo in the middle of the night. And I, can, I will never forget being at altitude, at altitude, and every horizon was covered with the lights of the city of Sao Paulo. It's one of the larger cities in the world, and it's not built up, it's built out. And I'll never forget coming in. I've flown into New York City, Philadelphia, a lot of metropolitan areas, but I have never seen the breadth of the light 
that literally went from horizon to horizon. It truly was awe-inspiring. That's something that man co-creates with God, that kind of light. But there's a light in my bucket list I really want to see. It's the northern lights. Never seen it. The aurora borealis. Anyone ever seen the northern lights? I've, few of us, I've, I've never seen it. It's in the bucket list to see. But the most amazing place I've ever been, the most beautiful place, the most awe-inspiring place that I've ever been was a place called Banff, Alberta, Canada. Banff, Alberta, Canada. In Banff, Alberta, Canada, there's a hotel called the Banff Springs Hotel. It's essentially an 800-room castle that is built at the base of the Canadian Rocky Mountains, and it is absolutely spectacular. My wife Fran and I took our very first vacation ever as a married couple to the Banff Springs Hotel. In case you didn't know, the first vacation you ever take when you're married is called a honeymoon. That's where we went for our honeymoon. And I loved it, because I'm an outdoorsman. And I'll never forget the grandeur and the beauty of that hotel. The service in that hotel is five-star. Everything about it is absolutely spectacular. But what else was really moving was to go out onto the main grounds around the hotel, and there were herds of elk that were bedding down in the yard of the hotel. And putting it this way, it was the season of the rut. It was rut season. And I can remember coming out of that hotel and you'd see a massive bull elk on one side of the property bugling to another massive bull elk and the cows were in herds and the bulls were out on the golf course fighting. I absolutely loved it. It was an amazing experience for an outdoorsman. But when I think about the most amazing place that brought me the closest to creation and just filled me with wonder. It was Banff Springs. My wife and I actually hiked from the base of the mountain up into the snow belt where we were at. The weather was beautiful. It was in the 60s. But when you hiked up into the snow belt, we actually walked into this massive ravine and there was a blizzard happening. It was spectacular. I'll never forget that. But when you think about the beauty and the wonder of creation... Where does your memory go? Where does it go? I also want to mention, too, that the beauty and the wonder and the goodness of God in creation also finds itself in the minutia, in the intricacy, the molecular realities of creation. Not just in the vastness, but in the tininess of it and how it functions. It all speaks to how good God is and how amazing creation is. And again, I'm well aware that this is a sermon series on the fall, but we need to begin here in the amazing reality of God's good creation. I can honestly say I never get tired of driving towards this church. I've done it for almost 22 years, driving towards this church on Ryle Road, seeing the City Church Central steeple and then seeing the Blue Ridge Mountains behind it kind of framing that steeple. That never grows old to me. It always fills me with the wonder of God's creation. But you would notice when I read, I'm sure you didn't miss it, that when God is speaking about creating humankind, 
God shifts from singular to the plural. And when God speaks about creating man in his own image, the words that are used in Hebrew are let us create man in our image. In our image, he created them. It's not till the Newer Testament that we discover what God's talking about in the books of Moses in Genesis 2. We discover that Jesus was present at creation. John chapter 1 verse 3 tells us this. Through him, meaning Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's John 1. In John 1.10, John writes it again. He, meaning Jesus, was in the world and through the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Colossians 1.16. For in him, meaning Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Hebrews 1.2. But in these last days, he, meaning God, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So when we begin to read in the Newer Testament, we discover who the we is in Genesis 2. We, we discover who the our is. Jesus existed prior to his incarnation, and Jesus was the creative agent through which God created the world. Jesus pre-existed creation. And yet, as Hebrews tells us and Colossians tells us, that Jesus steps into the world that he made in human form, and humankind did not recognize him. Humankind, by and large, missed him. But I want you to catch this. This is so important, and this involves my first thought. My first thought for you and for me is this, is that God created us in his image, and Jesus took on that image in the incarnation. Please know this, that Satan came as an animal. God came as a human being. Don't forget that. Why? Because humankind is created in the image of God. That's why Jesus came as he did. And it validates your humanness and my humanness. The fact that Jesus came in human form, that the pre-incarnate Jesus comes as a person, validates you, you being a human and my being a human. There's something about that that elevates us and ought to give us a sense of assurance. It's important to know that God creates man and women in his image and his likeness. What I'm going to say next might be a little bit different than what some of you have heard. I'm well aware of this, but I believe this to be true. If you read Genesis 1.27, you will notice that God creates man and women in his image and likeness. I believe 
that Adam and Eve were created equal. We're actually going to talk about this next week. But Adam and Eve were created equal. It's the fall that brought the inequality. That's due to the fall. It was never God's divine intent. But in Jesus, that inequality is redeemed. In the ministry of Jesus, Jesus elevates women from the beginning to the end of his ministry. And we discover that in him, that equality is restored. But as we look at our text, we discover that God creates men and women in the image of God. That when God created the rest of the world, he said it's good. But when he looks down at humankind and places humankind in the midst of the garden, he makes this announcement that it is very good. Please hear me. You are a mammal, but not an animal. There's a difference between the animal kingdom and the human kingdom. Humankind is created in the image of God. You have self-worth. You have a unique position in God's created order. You and I exist at the pinnacle of God's good creation. The psalmist understood this. And in Psalm chapter 139, verse 14, the psalmist declares to God, I, be, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. What does it mean to be an image bearer? What does it mean to bear the image of God? That's my next thought. What does that actually look like? What does it mean? The truth of it is, the fact that you're created in God's image means a lot of things. But there's two that I want us to anchor into. And here they are. First, to be created in the image of God means that we reflect the glory of God into the world. That as a follower of Jesus, part of your calling and my calling is to recognize that I'm created in the image of God and every image, every idol of the God is created for the purpose of broadcasting the image of that God into the world to broadcast that image. I remember when we went to Sao Paulo, Brazil to visit my parents I'd really never seen this before. I'd never really seen idol worship. But when we were in Sao Paulo, my parents were giving us a drive around their neighborhood. And in their very neighborhood, there were idols on the corners of the streets where people would come and make sacrifices to those idols. Animism was all over Sao Paulo, Brazil. You see, the idols that are there are for the purpose of broadcasting that God's reality to everyone who sees it. That's what it means when you and I own the fact and believe the fact that we are uniquely created in the image of God. Our lives broadcast the glory of the God that has created us. The next thing that it means to be created in the image of God is to return glory 
and honor to God. So we bring his glory into the world through our image and being created in him, but we also return glory and honor and worship back to God. The next sermon series that I preach following the fall is going to be all about worship. As we move towards Thanksgiving, our next sermon series is going to focus on worship and what it truly is. But just know this, you and I, are created in the image of God. We are here to reflect God's glory into the world, and we're here to bring a glory back to God from the world in which he's placed us. What I'm keenly aware of, though, is that being an image bearer and shining God's glory into this world isn't easy. I know this. You know how I know? I try to do it. And the image of God in me because I am fallen and the fall has affected me, it affects how I shine God, how I bring God's glory into this world. And so in preparation for this sermon, I was trying to think of a way to illustrate what I really know that I need to say, and it's this. You and I are created in God's image. We are called to be his image bearers and to bring him glory in the world. Do you and I both know we're broken? We have struggles. There's stuff in us that prove that the fall is real. But in Jesus, you don't have to submit to that. That in Jesus, there's a way to find healing and restoration for the image of God in you that is tainted by the fall. As part of this, my wife, we will be married 30 years this fall. And part of moving towards 30 years of marriage, my wife asked me to do something that I'm really thankful she asked me to do. And that is, here at City Church, we have a course called the Emotionally Healthy or Emotionally Healthy Relationships. It's called EHR. Pastor Gabe, who is our congregational care pastor, has been running this course for years. We've had hundreds, well over 100, probably 200 people have gone through this course. So Fran asked me if I would go through this with her. So every Monday night, my wife and I will sit down in front of our computer because it's a Zoom meeting. Fancy that. We will sit down in front of a Zoom meeting. There will be a group of us. There's several couples and some singles that are a part of our course as Pastor Gabe is leading us. And as we're going through this course, what you're called to do is take an inventory and discover the realities of who you are. I have to confess to you, my score was a lot lower than I had anticipated. The fall is real. But the other thing that we're asked to do besides taking an assessment, sharing with one another, we're also asked to do what's called the daily office. It's where every day we read a devotional that really allows us to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, how are we as image bearers for God? How are we doing? And in day number one, the closing prayer for the very first office is this. I want you to listen carefully. Here's the prayer that all of us in the class prayed at the end of the day one office as we are alone with God in our quiet times. Here's the prayer. Lord, it is so easy for me to go through my days without remembering or thinking about you. 
And it is even easier for me to overlook your beauty in the people around me. Please change the unhealthy ways of relating that are deeply rooted in me. Shape me into a person who offers your tenderness, your kindness to those I come in contact with today. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is that prayer so important? It's because as followers of Jesus, we are created in the image of God, and yet in his image, we are called to bear his glory into a world that needs it. And yet we're fallen, and if we're not looking at ourselves and assessing ourselves before Christ, that image becomes more and more corroded and tainted. What we now find as we come to the end of chapter one. And in chapter one, I need to remind us again that it says this, it is very good. When God looks at his creation and looks at humankind, he says, it is very good. Now we're gonna read a lengthy chunk of scripture. I'm gonna make one more thought. We're gonna close. Because now we shift from the general account of creation to where the book of Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 and following bring to us the actual creation of humankind in his image. Here's what scripture says, Genesis 2, 1 and following. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. How amazing they are. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his, what's the next word? Work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Do you see a theme here? Work. Reading on, creation of Adam and Eve. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created and when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and here's another reason why nothing was growing. Gotta catch this. Here's why. And there was no one to work. Interesting. There was no one to work the ground but the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. We're gonna take an in-depth look at that two Sundays from now. Reading on. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. There he put the man he had formed. Then the Lord God made all kinds of trees, grow up out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's for next week. Skipping four verses. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. And what does it say? To work. To work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat from it, you will surely die. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, first time God ever says creation was not good. Here's what he says. It is not good 
For man to be alone, I will make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds, in the sky and all the wild animals. But Adam, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. First time anesthesia was ever used. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then he took God. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they became one flesh. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Again, we're going to take a look at those things next Sunday. But what I want you to notice is we put feet to our faith. As we close out the time of this message, I want you to notice that in verse 2, it tells us that God worked that up until the sixth day, God had been working. And the seventh day, it tells us clearly that he finished his work, that he rested from his work, and that from all the work of creating, that it was completely accomplished and it was all good. And then verse five tells us this. It tells us that there was no one to work the ground. That was a problem and then verse 15 tells us, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Can you imagine how gorgeous the Garden of Eden must have been? Every tree bearing fruit. What a stunning place to be. But I want you to notice, God put Adam in the garden to work. To work. Don't want to bum you out. But work predates the fall. Work is essential for humankind. Work is what we are created to do. But there's something clear in the scriptures, and it's this, that in God calling us to work, we co-create with God. Notice Adam is naming animals. Notice Adam's going to work the garden. He's going to till the ground. Adam is co-working with God in the midst of his work. But here's what I know about work. Not all of us want to do it. How many of us are pumped, whether you're at home or here, about Monday? Like, well, I get to go to work. I get to go back and study. I get to have, most of us look and go, I wish we had another Sabbath. The reality of it is, work is God-given. It's essential. It's good. Now, we're going to learn next week that the ROI on Adam's work got much worse after the fall. We know this. But work predates the fall. And work is part of you and I bearing the image of God. But one of the things I want us to think about as we close when it comes to work, when you write your best paper, for those of the wrestlers in the back, when you take your best takedown ever and take them straight to the back and deck them. We're praying for that, by the way. But when you do that, Always remember, you're co-working with God. You're co-working. 
Here's why. Because when we cease to co-work with God, we get proud. Even pastors can get proud. You can preach your best sermon ever and get filled with pride unless you always remind yourself you're co-working with God. I want to illustrate it this way and then we're going to close. When my children were young and they would still listen and do what I was telling them to do without argument, they were little, I would always get them to work in the yard with me once or twice a year. I grew up on a farm and my dad had lists and I hated lists, so I never did that for my kids. But I wanted them to have a work ethic. I knew how important it was. So I would take the kids into the front yard maybe once or twice a year. They were really tiny. I'd give each of them a rake and they'd start raking. Within a minute, they were wrestling. And dad would rake the flower beds. One or two of them might help me for a moment, putting everything in a bag so we could haul it away. When all the bags were lined up and the flower beds were finished, one of my kids would run in and say, Mommy, Mommy, come here. Look what we did. Look what we did. It was 90% dad and 10% them, right? Listen, that's how it is when you do the best thing you will ever do at work. It's 90% God, 10% you. And it's never just us. We co-labor with God why we're created in his image. Let's stand together as we close. As we close together, Stephen's going to lead us in worship. And as he leads us in worship, I want us to put feet to our faith. And let's commit as we worship God that we will be his image bearers in the world. And one of the primary ways it will show itself is that we will co-labor with God in our work.